September 3rd, 1976. What's with the answer machine? A man of your stature should have a secretary. Anyhow, Tony here. I was able to secure the item we've been talking about, so we'll see you at our place Friday, 7 o'clock, or come earlier if you wish. And for God's sake, erase this message. Hat. I have to ask you for the biggest, most desperate last-minute favor I have ever asked another human being on the face of the earth for, and if my back wasn't acting up, I'd be begging down on my knees, said Tony Boyette with his customary mock humility. Boyette was a drug-addicted lawyer in his late forties, and the man he called Hat was twenty years his senior. Boyette and his wife owned a house called Orkney, named after King Arthur's birthplace built on a promontory overlooking the Hudson River about a hundred miles from New York City, in the town of Leiden, New York. Tony and his wife, Parker, were having a hard time holding on to the property. The bills, taxes, repairs, gas, oil, electric, arrived like ransom notes. They did their best to take it in stride. They were not the first to lead irregular lives in the old house. Orkney had been the site of shootings, stabbings, and a century's worth of scandalous copulations. Buried around the property were the bones of Indians and slaves, banknotes dating from the Royal British Bank scandal of 1856, Krugerans, manuscripts and maps, and even the body parts of at least one inconvenient mistress. The house's more mundane history was buried in two private dumps on the property, where staff disposed of garbage from the main house. Every now and then, rising up from their shallow grave, came discarded household items, such as a candlestick with its socket stuffed with thick black wax, and countless opaque glass bottles, some clearly from the local apothecary, soda, rye, milk of magnesia, as well as one haunted baby doll, her little mouth a silent scream. It was a house that defied the standard categories of architectural style, fashioned out of wood, brick, and rough-hewn stone, it sprouted chimneys every which way. It had a steep outdoor staircase that was meant to lead to a third-story widow's walk that never was built. The windows were scattered chaotically and seemed to go up and down like musical notes on the lines of a staff. But now its ungainliness had been eclipsed by its historical noteworthiness, much as a fool can become a source of wonder and admiration if he lives to be one hundred. The architecture and the legend were not the whole story, either. It had an unobstructed view of the river, with no other houses or anything that suggested the 20th century. It also came with nearly 50 acres of rolling fields and towering woods, where there lived owls and raccoons, herons, pileated woodpeckers, hawks, eagles, wild turkeys, foxes, weasels, deer, coyotes, and now and again, a bobcat. Tony Boyette worked for Scattergood and Clark an investment firm where his grandfather and father had worked, and where two days a week Tony sat at a small desk in an out-of-the-way little office, handling his family's gradually diminishing holdings. Cousins and grandnephews and other boyettes had either gone broke or transferred their holdings to other less moribund companies. Occasionally after work, before catching the train back to Leiden, Boyette went to a bare, boxy little apartment in a high-rise on West 15th Street, to buy a week's worth of dope from a woman named Candace, enough for himself and Parker. He took good care of Parker, through whose family Orkney had come. Using the drug was never meant to be a nightly event, 
but an occasional reward for getting through another day on what the Boyettes called the most annoying planet in the universe. They had what they considered their own unique approach to drug use and their way of making sure that they did not descend into full-blown man-with-a-golden-arm hatful-of-rain addiction was to make most weekends dope-free. Saturdays, they took the edge off things with martinis, and on Sunday, it was cognac. This Saturday, however, opium was on the menu. Opium was rare in New York, but recently, a few Iranians who believed their suave, despotic ruler's hold on power was starting to slip had moved to New York, and, just as refugees of yore had secreted diamonds on their person, some of the fleeing Iranians had brought with them black opium. Instability in Iran turned out to be a boyette boon, since opium was something Tony and Parker had always wanted to try. Cocteau wrote that the smell of opium was the least stupid smell in the world. Julia Lee singing Lotus Blossom was...